Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and with me today, I'd like to introduce our Royal Court of Investing Experts, here to make sense out of this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealthinsights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So for today's conversation, we've got a number of economic releases this week, notably focused on employment data. So if we take a look at a couple information pieces, earlier in this week, we had the JOLTS report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, where we talked about job openings available, 11.4 million. And that's about a two to one ratio with those that are unemployed, so the economic status of that is that the Fed will continue to look at that from the combination of additional information released this week. Examples of those information include the non-farm payrolls report that came out this morning, 390,000 new non-farm payrolls for May, and that was a pretty good number. In addition, the unemployment rate stayed right around 3.6%, and as they also report on a regular basis within that release, the labor force participation rate was at 62.3%. In addition, just yesterday on Thursday, we had the initial unemployment claims that come out every week, and that was right around 200,000, which has continued to stay low for a while now. All three of those reports, good signs for the economy, but at the same time, do have implications for what the Fed will do going forward in the next couple of meetings and later on this year. So George, as we think about all that information together with some other information regarding productivity and and ISM indices, what are your thoughts and where do you see the market headed? So Ryan, you're right. There are a lot of economic uh, headlines this week and probably a lot of cross currents too. I guess I kind of start by noting that the employment sector continues to be pretty positive. Uh, This morning, we got, of course, the employment report. It suggests that the growth is still pretty solid. And maybe even we've seen more evidence lately of some slowing inflationary pressures too. I think inflation is still somewhat elevated, but the overall numbers suggest that growth is still here. So a slowdown for sure, a recession, not quite so sure, I guess I'd I'd say. The overall employment numbers were revised higher uh, the prior month, month, and we saw a really pretty big um, significant uh, gain in the overall labor market from the hospitality sector, which was of course hit pretty hard by COVID, but it's rebounded quite strongly. Uh, We also saw a lot of things this week with respect to um, ISM numbers, which are kind of a way to kind of calibrate near-term economic activity. They were pretty strong. Um, again, some cross currents there too. So I, think there, I think there's a lot of confusion about you know just how strong the economy is right now, how vibrant the labor market is. But I guess when I take a step back and look at all these different parts of the uh, the picture here, I continue to think that things are pretty solid from a growth perspective. And again, inflation seems to be moderate a little bit. The uh, the PLI numbers we talked about again, these are some near-term economic readings uh, just based on economic activity. It's some survey data, so it's kind of anecdotal, but it is uh, it is some near-term data. And again, if I look at the broader picture, we can kind of point to a few things that are slowing down. Certainly China is, is slowing. Um, their numbers actually did pick up a little bit from the prior month, but it's still contracting a little bit. 
but overall, about 83% of the countries in the world right now are showing signs of expansion. That, uh, that's down about uh, 2% from the prior reading, which was 85% of the overall global economy expanding, but 83% um, is still pretty healthy by my, by my standards. And again, again, if you take a step back and look at the broader landscape, you'll continue to see uh, expansion other places as well. So I think at the same time, we've seen this happen. Um, we've seen a lot of chatter from the Fed, I should say, a lot of different talking heads with respect to what the Fed might do with this data. Uh, it does suggest to me that they're going to continue raising rates, uh, but the question is how much they might be raising rates and how quickly. So Rajiv, what do you make of the, uh, the latest news from the Fed? And again, all the talking heads that are, are coming out right now to talk about future moves uh, from the Fed going forward. Yeah, that's a great point, George. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of talking heads this week, and I think one of the biggest ones was the Fed uh, Vice Chair Brainerd. Uh, her comments hit the wire pretty strong. Uh, she said that we were getting mixed signals on the economy, uh, for example, softer home sales. Uh, but she's attributing that to the impact of Fed tightening. Uh, the Fed's number one priority, as we've talked about many times, is co combating uh, this high, multi-decade high uh, inflation that we have right now. And so she expects 50 basis point rate hikes in June and July, and no really clear sense beyond July. But if there are no clear signs of deceleration in monthly inflation reads, uh, another 50 basis points would be warranted in September, and that's what her comments were. Uh, she doesn't really see a real hard case of pausing in September. There were some other Fed members who said that maybe you know, we, can, we can pause in September and look at the data. Uh, she says there's a lot of work to be done, and I think her words really impacted the market. You mentioned the jobs data feeds. Uh, that the job data really does feed into the uh, expectation of Fed rate hikes. We see the front end of the yield curve impacted by the, uh, the jobs number today. If you look at the longer end, bonds can uh, benefit from speculation that higher rates will curb both inflation and yields. We got a 10-year bond that currently offers about 100 basis points on average over their G7 peers. So that makes them kind of relatively attractive. But in this environment where we have multi-decade high inflation, the primary focus for the Fed members, for the policymakers, is curbing inflation and raising rates to do that. The labor market is too tight and uh, the Fed is gonna try to slow down the economy. Uh, gains of the magnitude that we saw today in the jobs number over time may result in the unemployment rates to start to fall a little bit. But if labor demand cools, part-time employees is something to look at as well. Uh, there were some numbers there that we saw today. Uh, there's the U6 unemployment rate, which includes the part-time workers. That rose for a second month in a row. That reached 7.1%. Uh, the market reaction of that is higher yields and lower stocks. Uh, and that points to investors that are ready for a weaker job report and also ready for a Fed to be locked in raise rates and continue this 50 basis point rate hike for the next two meetings. In fact, if you look at Fed futures, they're pricing in a 70% uh, probability of a, a fourth 50 basis point move. That's up from 60 basis points right before the job number. That's a significant seat change from where we were a week ago, it seems like, Rishi, is that correct? Absolutely. Last week, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, fingers are pointing towards the fact that maybe the Fed will slow down, maybe there won't be another rate hike in September, or maybe at least there won't be 50 basis points. But, uh, you know, you've got a really strong, uh, uh, you got a really strong employment number, and you also have the fact that uh, inflation is not coming down as fast as uh, Fed officials think. So uh, it's uh, put on the pedal right now. So at the same time, Rajiv, it still seems like the credit markets are flowing pretty well, and there doesn't seem to be that much sign of stress. Is that, uh, is that a fair assessment, too? Yeah, it is. I mean, high-grade U.S. bonds did sell off a little bit this week, but uh, high yield also had a seven-day rally. Uh, so you see that it's the longest winning streak for high yield since September uh, 2021. Uh, 
this was pretty, pretty much all in part with uh, another Fed member, uh, Fed uh, President Bostic's suggestion that uh, the Fed may pause in September. That really lent uh, a lot of momentum to the credit markets. Uh, we did see that pave the way for credit to have its, its largest rally in two years. We saw that last week. It was amazing to see not only uh, uh, cash bonds, but also CDX. Everything started rallying uh, last week. It also bought issuers back, back to the market this week. We saw the the, uh, the issuers of debt, uh, they uh, kind of cooled down when uh, when rates started moving higher. And last week, we saw rates moving lower. We saw credit spreads reacting positively. We saw issuers come back to the market. Uh, Syndicate Desk had, uh, had estimated about $25 billion in new issuance and investment grade this week. We got $30 billion. So you know issuers are looking at this as well. Great, Rajiv. So the other thing that kind of caught my ten attention this week has to do with what's happening in the energy markets. Um, so, Steve, I was kind of struck by the fact that we saw some really significant headlines related to the energy sector this week. You know, you begin, we began the week when we saw we saw the EU su suggest that they might be cutting um, their dependency on, on Russian oil, which would be a, a significant departure in policy. And then at the end of the week, we're now getting headlines that President Biden might be on his way to Saudi Arabia to try and uh, try and release, I guess, or trying to get some more supply um, back online from the Saudis. You know, that's also a pretty significant uh, uh, departure in policy as well. So what do you make of the energy sector right now in, in terms of what we should be thinking about from the economy perspective uh, and also geopolitically? Well, the, the geopolitics and the economics are, go hand in hand here, George. You know, we sit here today uh, with crude oil just south of $120 a barrel. Um, and the, it is according to the AAA, <clears throat> we've got uh, U.S. average regular gasoline sitting at 476. Um, never been higher heading into the summer. And the 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 rough thing is that it looks like it's going to continue to head higher. Uh, we have not seen any demand destruction, really, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. We've had this massive rebound in price from the the COVID lows, uh, but yet we have seen no demand destruction whatsoever, irrespective of price moving higher. Um, the economics of that tell me that price is going to go higher until we see demand destroyed in order to try to bring supply and demand back into balance. We just have this global disconnect where even if the administration is successful in getting the Saudis to release more oil. The problem isn't that we have we we have enough or don't have enough crude oil. The problem is that the global refining capacity is is incredibly tight. There just isn't enough refining capacity available to be able to refine whatever we whatever we do get into the market for for crude. Um, the, the situation in Europe is incredibly tenuous, both with respect to gasoline, but even more importantly, diesel fuel, uh, because there are a tremendous amount of exports of refined product that come out of Russia that are not able to be replaced by anybody in the, in the world. So while there is a lot of talk about trying to uh, extricate <clears throat> ourselves from, on a global basis, uh, dependence on Russia or or other actors, uh, it's just it's a really incredibly difficult situation to try to to do when you get down to to dealing with the whole real world part of it. I mean that doesn't even get into the real politic of you know the 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 U.S. going hat in hand to a dictatorship in Saudi Arabia when we're bemoaning a, a buying oil from a dictatorship in Russia. 
that's an interesting way to put it, Steve. Uh, I'd be curious to also get your thoughts. So there's a lot of things we could kind of, um, you know, kind of pull on a, a few threads there, I think. Um, you know, one of which has to do probably with, with earnings and really the health of consumer. We'll probably get a, a better update in a few weeks when we've got a special call set up with somebody who's going to provide some great insights, I think, on the consumer. But what's your read through in terms of, of the overall health of the consumer right now, Steve? And you can maybe kind of put that in context with you when you mentioned gas at uh, six or seven dollars um, uh, a gallon right now and uh, going up and other prices. I'm sorry, other price pressures as well. How do you think the consumer is holding up these days? Well, I said 476. I know we got a six and a seven in there and hopefully, hopefully we don't see six or seven. Yeah. Well, you know, on the West coast though, we are though, right? I mean, I know reports. Yeah. Yeah. No, are, you're, you're, fuck, so. Yeah. You're not wrong. When you look at the, the, the nation, there is a distribution there and on the West coast, it for sure is that level. You know, when you look at, uh, we are starting to see signs of the consumer tapping credit lines, which suggests that the budget is starting to get stretched by some of these inflationary pressures. Um, we have not seen it translate into uh, pressure on corporate revenues really yet, um, but time will tell. We'll see if that happens as we move through the through the course of the summer and we get into the to the next set of earnings. Um, I, I, I've said on these calls for for a while now. My big concern is that we've seen the market swoon this year, and it's all been driven by the P price not been driven by the E, the earnings, because we've seen earnings continuing to go up and to the right. And it, if we get into a scenario where we start to see earnings actually get marked down, uh, then, then that's when we really start to get concerned about what the market could offer us in terms of, uh, of trouble through the summer and into the fall. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be watching to, to see if we do inflect lower on that earnings number. I think that's really what just about everybody who's concerned about fundamentals is focused on on the street right now. If that number inflects lower, then we have, uh, we have ourselves a situation on our hands yet again. So at the same time, we've seen this tremendous volatility. I just was looking at a couple, um, couple of data points this morning. You know, this last one year, if you kind of take a, take account all the volatility we've seen just in the last 12 months, the stock market is pretty much where it was 12 months ago. So we've, we've gone up, you know, 14, 15%. We've come down about the same. I think year to date, we're down something around 10% on the S&P. Uh, but relatively, relatively speaking, over the last one year, the market's flat. So I think that's kind of a indicative uh, situation of probably where we go from here. We talked about maybe some summer swoons and some volatility. But kind of flattish markets and a lot of choppiness uh, in the near term. So I think with that in mind, we really want to kind of stay very focused on diversification, focused on, on really kind of building robust portfolios and really remaining remaining disciplined about how we put capital work and when we do so. Uh, so with that, Brian, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, George. Uh, just in the trip from uh, Biden's visit going to Saudi Arabia, he also visited with Powell Rajiv, do you have any comments about what you think that might mean, or is it just basically a, a, a closed-door visit? Uh, you know, it was a very, uh, I would call it a rare uh, situation where the, the President of the United States meets with uh, Fed Chair Powell uh, and Janet Yellen in a closed uh, Oval Office meeting. Uh, I think that the uh, uh, the whole outcome of that meeting, I, I, was, I was expecting a little more ripples in the market when that meeting was announced, uh, because you always want the, the Fed to be independent of any political pressure, even though it's always there, but you, you always expect it to be independent. I think it was a, uh, a combination of uh, showing the impact of what inflation is in the market right now. Obviously, that's uh, priority number one for the Fed. 
but it's also a priority, a big priority for uh, for the president of the United States, Biden. So I think that uh, the meeting was more uh, a sense of like, uh, you know, making sure that the highlight is on inflation. Uh, the market didn't really react too much to the meeting. It would have been a whole different situation if uh, President Biden was, uh, you know, really demanding that we have a 70, 75 basis point rate hike. That was not going to happen. Uh, Fed Chair Powell is sticking with his, uh, with his thesis of 50 basis point rate hikes in the next two meetings. That has not changed. It just, I believe, highlighted the importance that inflation is on, on political circles and all, as well with the Fed. So, George, Stephen, and Rajiv, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp, Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.